From the backwoods and the swamp waters of the Sunshine State and all across America and the world, this is the Big and Wild Outdoors. Yeah, here we go. Hour number two, the Big and Wild Outdoors, brought to you by Brandon Ford. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. I'm Braden Gunn. There's Vince Noble. There's uh, Bill George over there and uh, Slick on the other side. And I'm reliving the 80s. You got, are. Got me some cherry coke. Cherry coke. I haven't had a Word cherry up. coke. Word up. Word up. <laughs> wow. You know, they're actually... Uh, Remember that guy who used to do the man versus food uh, thing? Adam, 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 yeah, cool. Adam, whatever. Yeah, he's now brought a new show out that's uh, Food of the Eighties, Foods of the Eighties. That's actually a great show. And, and they said it's been going like gangbusters. And I kind of watched a preview of it last night, so I saw this cherry coke in the machine. I was like, "Word up, cherry wow. coke, cherry <laughs> coke!" I got to get one. I haven't had one forever. I like it, man. And it's he delicious. Was- He's actually I love I loved Man versus Food and all oh, that. Yeah. That's but I'm like, movie. how do you do it, dude? Well, he's I, I will say that he's spawned an entire generation of YouTubers and Facebookers and Instagrammers that go around all doing these challenges. My kids and I were at a restaurant one time and this guy comes in and he's got his little entourage and they're setting up cameras and all this stuff and and I was looking, I'm like, what in the world's going on? And my son was like, Oh, that's a blankety blank, man. He does the food challenges thing here. Around um, restaurants, he goes, ah, I can't believe he's here. And I was like, who is that guy? I have no idea. Yeah, I, I, I barely <laughs> I have no watched. idea. I mean, these kids are watching. I was watching plotting charts on YouTube. I don't watch. Yeah, but it. you're going for your captain's license. Yeah, so there's a reason for you to yeah, do but that. That's the only time I get on YouTube where if I'm looking for like uh, old rock video or something. I'm I like, know. Come on, man. Nowadays, it's like the it's like the, the encyclopedias of our generation. You know, it's I, like. Uh, my son came in uh, after uh, Steve had given him that that uh, eight millimeter Mauser, and he came in and he goes, "Did you know that you can actually uh, put it on safe if you do the bolt and you work it back and you hold the trigger as you push the bolt forward? It'll actually decock the rifle and all this stuff." And I'm like, "No, I did not know that. I, I didn't know that." I was like, "Are you kidding me?" And he goes, "Oh," and he showed me right here on YouTube. And I was like, "Where the heck did you learn?" He goes, "Oh, watch this whole giant video on uh, YouTube about." Uh, I actually, I have, I have used, like, utilized YouTube when I was like learning Photoshop, and I'm like, how do I do this in Photoshop? Click, oh. click, 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 boom! There's a video. Well, I think that uh, anymore nowadays, uh, you can find just about anything you want on on YouTube. That's uh, amazing. Uh, Bill George at the moment right now is looking up YouTube to try to figure out if it is not actually YouTube. legal or not illegal to <laughs> how to get your friends to go to FWC meetings <laughs> and influence people. Uh, no, uh, during the break, uh, Vince and uh, Bill George were continuing their episode that's going on currently <laughs> during the drama that is the Big and Wild Outdoors. And uh, an so, interesting thing was brought up. Uh, Captain Greg Martz, of course, uh, lives over on the East Coast, right? He's over there on East Coaster now. Down in the Lauderdale area, yes, sir. He also is the uh, proprietor and owner of Archipelago, Archipelago. Archipelago uh, Outfitters, uh, making fishing shirts and all that stuff, too, but... Uh, you said that he got he got a ticket. He was a little miffed. He got a ticket or something from the uh, FWC. And yes, and Greg Greg is a, a a master captain. You know he can drive anything on the water, do anything on the water. The, the boy knows his stuff. Now, so when you say master captain, that means he's 
he above I, I 50, think he 50 tons? He's or? not a 100-ton master captain. Okay. I hear Captain Greg can bait some hooks, too. Yeah, he can. Uh, yeah. He can bait some hooks, but uh, he's a 100-tonner or something you're, like that. You're not leading me down the rabbit hole, buddy. So, Sorry. obviously, this guy knows what he's doing when it comes to boating, correct? Correct. correct. All right. So, he, I get a text. He goes, man, FWC. He goes, not happy. He, they, they brought a guy in from Ocala Forest to run the Marine unit down in, in Miami. Well, they do that sometimes well, to move but, them around. But the guy's been in the forest. I'm not saying he doesn't know his waterways, though. He's been in the forest. He's been in the <laughs> Ocala Forest. Okay. A little bit different than Miami. It's a different type of forest. <laughs> it's true, lad. It's so anyways, very true. Yeah, so he gets a ticket. and the reason What he did got he get a ticket for? He was running the boat. And the officer said his anchor light was not on. Would he say an anchor light or a stern light? Anchor light. Anchor or stern? Anchor. Is anchor. an anchor and a stern light a- the same light? No. No. You have an no. anchor light that's usually, if it's on a sailboat, it's usually up on the mast. Oh, correct. And then, uh, uh, two different things. Was he in a sailboat? No. What size boat was he in? Like a 44-foot, I believe, mini yacht. Okay. So, so in this particular picture of what is legally required on a boat uh, of that class, what color lights and where do they need to be on the boat? Bill, you're asking all the wrong questions. It's I don't a know. white light. Has to be a no, white I'm light. I'm just giving you a little picture. We're gonna we're gonna go third grade here. It's yeah, a white. Picture. It's a white. It's it's a white light, and it has to be mounted at least up on the highest point. Correct, but. You don't run that white light the, when you're running the boat. But no, is it when you're anchored? Okay, but it, did he have a white light in the back of his boat? Oh, stern I, light. I, I don't know. I wasn't on the boat. He just sent me a text. I'm just asking yeah, a question. I'm just, uh, well, don't defend somebody if you don't know the rules. Well, now I mean, you he's don't our friend. But see, you got you, you can only go by what the man told him. He said that he had an anchor light, and if it was because of the stern light not being on or not being running, then that's a completely different thing. Correct. So the gentleman. If he takes it to court, if Greg takes it to court, obviously the officer doesn't know the difference between a stern light no, and a... The officer uh, is going to cite a rule that he's in violation of. He's going to turn around and cite the rule. When he gets in court, he's going to say, listen, judge, there wasn't a little white light in the back of the boat. But then they're going to have to But that's not what's it. written on the ticket. Right. It, the, what's written on the ticket is the law number in which he violated this is we ran into this a few years back. Legally, you have to have working red and green yes, running lights true. on a boat. Yes, at even all times. if even if you're in the middle of the day. Yes, those lights are supposed to work all the time. The point that I'm making though is, you do not have your anchor light on when you are running the boat at full speed. Not because an anchor light at night. Other, other you, oncoming boats will think you're anchored. You're anchored, but but you should have a stern light on. He does have the stern light on. The question is about the anchor light. It's not about the stern light. Thank Take you. the stern light completely out yes. of the equation. Have have your guy send a picture of the boat and with a circle oh, around God. what was. <laughs> well, it's. I have to say, there has to be a difference. A statute between there has to be a difference between. A running light and a and a and a parking light, let's call it. There you know, is. when it's when it's a moored light or whatever you want to call it, it's there's a big difference. So if you say there's a statue that he wrote on there, it, it says there's a light that was missing or indicated, and when the officer says, well, he didn't have his uh, stern light on, and he says, well, you told me that it was because I didn't have my anchor light on, and I don't require an anchor light on and now, uh, and my stern light is working. 
So if he made a mistake on the two, then, I mean, but, it's like getting pulled over and a cop goes, I'm writing you a ticket. And you go, what for? And he goes, uh, for having your taillight out. And you get to court and he goes, it was because he was going 85 miles an hour. Well, what the, Basically, uh, it's the same thing. I mean, you, you can't change what he's what going was to written. write on the ticket that he's in violation of whatever the statute is, or not the statute, whatever the rule is mm-hmm. that says they comply with the Coast Guard safety requirements, okay? U.S. Coast Guard safety requirements. That's what's going to be on the physical ticket. So do you think he should test it, or is this a gray area where he walks no, away? I, no, I, I, think he should, I think he should know, and he probably does know his rules very well, but if it's the white stern light very versus well, he's a master an anchor captain. light, I wouldn't have called them the different things. To me, I have three lights on my boat, or two. I have a red and a green one in the front right. that, that is under power that yeah. I have to have on. Yep. And then I have a white light in the back that drives me crazy. Yeah, your stern light. Okay? Yeah. My stern light. And it, it's in 360 because I'm a vessel under 40 feet. Okay? So... That's that's that's. But if you were anchored in reality, I could turn the red and the so green. So he couldn't have off. wrote that ticket. He couldn't have wrote that ticket until he stopped him, and then, even then he couldn't write it because he wasn't anchored. That's like doing seventy-five miles down two seventy-five and riding your brake lights on, and somebody's going to think you're parked. And guess what? That semi truck's going to run right up on you and hit you. So I'm thinking, Bill George, that if you were stopped and your boat is stopped and you are uh, reeling in an alligator and trying to get it in on the side of the boat. If they wanted to be a jerk about it, because unless you're anchored, I guess you're not anchored. You're just I'm not anchored. Drifting. I don't. I don't even have an anchor on my boat. <laughs> so, <laughs> I so, don't need an anchor light. I don't have an anchor. Yeah, but I mean, if it, technically, if they want to be a jerks about it, they're like you're Listen, not moving. If you want to, if they want to be a jerk, they're going to be a jerk. And I'm, I, normally, I'm. I'm. I'm I'm always one to side with captains. I'm still siding with the captain on this one because FWC, like I said, how did you write a ticket for an anchor light if he wasn't anchored? You stopped somebody. You wouldn't have anchored right there. You would have tied it, off to him. But, but if he looks at the ticket, he didn't write them for an anchor light. It's terminology. It's what you call something. Right. How many people Captain do Greg, you know that call, come buddy. into the military that don't know what what a particular item is? That's fine, and I'll teach them, but I don't go over there and I write them a ticket just because they don't know what a howitzer is or no. something simple like that. <laughs> <laughs> but That's it. You don't know your cannons from your rifles. $75 you're going dollars right to the U.S. Army. You're going down, come out buddy. of your next check. You're going down. Well, you know, speaking of the FWC, if Captain Greg uh, listens or you get him to call, uh, we can continue the conversation. But yeah. I got to ask... Uh, when we come back from break, I remember back years and years ago, we reintroduced the sturgeons back into our waterways here in the state of Florida. You know, we got the sturgeons back over in uh, the Hillsborough River. We got them over in the Swanee. We got them all over the place. But it seems now they're becoming this great prize for poachers. And I just wanted to uh, talk about it a little bit when we come back from break. It is the Big and Wild Outdoors brought to you by Brandon Ford. We'll be right back. Easy. Welcome in. It is the Big and Wild Outdoors. Braden Gunn, Vince Noble, Bill George. We're all hanging out with uh, Slick here in the studio. Okay. A little bit later on, we got uh, Mr. Dean coming in. He's going to be uh, 
going to be a fun guy to talk to. He's from up north, and uh, he's a uh, dopey giant up north. Go ahead. Uh, I just wanted to turn around and put in a quick little update. I was informed that the officer, even if they do go to court and he wrote the wrong statute, could revise the ticket. At the day of court. No, 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 no! You can't do that. That's you, crap. I'm just, I'm that just is crap. You. It's like, hey, man, I, you know, you weren't speeding. <laughs> Too late. It's you weren't a, speeding, too but late. I'm gonna go ahead and write you a ticket for, uh, I don't know, your wires were hanging a little loose or something. You cha- your, your safety chains weren't hooked up. No, you can't revise the ticket. Yeah. You, you right. messed up. You made the wrong call. To just take your loss. I guess. Uh, well, uh, Bill's brother is in law enforcement, so he's not uh, just you know guessing at it. He he knows the rules. So yeah, but is that is that regular law enforcement? Because even then, that's no, that's bullcrap. Well, you can't just revise the ticket the day of. Well, it just depends. <clears throat> he didn't say when you could revise it. Now after the day it's of court, but day of. But if it's pointed out in court that he made the wrong thing, he can't go. Well, hang on a second. Let me see that ticket real quick, and nope. then uh, and then change it. Yeah, while but he's you in court. Re- are you going to remember every ticket that you wrote? You'd be like, "Oh yeah, that guy wasn't the anchor light. It was the uh, he was can, missing his uh, bow light." Can I tell you, the a lot of time those officers do not write a lot of tickets. Okay, they turn around. FWC. And pers- <laughs> for, d- compared to the number of interactions they have, they don't write as many tickets. That is true. Okay. Safety. Yeah, percentage-wise, but still. One of the few exceptions I have seen, and it's just like a state patrol officer, highway patrol, when it comes to safety violations, whether they may let you go on speeding, they may let you go on a number of things, but you know, if you don't have your number of life jackets, they don't give you a pass, okay? I can tell you that from experience. Um, but, you know, they'll let a lot of things slide, they'll, you know... Drinking they'll it they'll was educate you uh, that, that fish is a quarter inch too small. You 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 didn't measure them right. It's at the it's at the fork. It's not at the end of the tail. They will do a lot of education in their in their field, but safety violations they they take serious. Yeah, I know that. Um, Those damn anchor lights gonna get us all the time. My buddy Greg back in the day, he would tell you that he writes more BUI tickets than he does fishing violations. And that that's and, that I'm okay with. He would write, uh, and not only BUI but also DUI because uh, a lot of, a lot of people well. don't know that when you're speeding down the road and you happen to be weaving or doing whatever on the road and you're thinking, oh, it's just a wildlife guy, and you pass him doing 95. He can pull you over. They've and got, he can write you a ticket, and he can also uh, give you a DUI. Uh, said, they've or got more power than regular yeah, officers. Exactly. They're he the most has powerful to do it before the court. That I got clarification. It has to be before the, yeah. the court. Yeah, but who is he really going to remember? Oh, yeah, this oh, yeah. is the guy you'll, that's got you'll the anchor remember light. that. Well, he knows what's coming up on the docket or whatever. But but anyway, FWC, I will agree with Bill George. They let more. They'll let you go, and they'll educate you more. Unless it is a safety violation, or you've been drinking, or you're stoned, or whatever it is, then it becomes serious yeah. because now now lives are at risk, yeah. uh, human lives are at risk, and it, there's a big difference. There's a big difference between you crashing in with a boatload of people into a dock or something than there is to catch a an undersized redfish because you didn't measure it the, the right way by the tail. And, so. and there are certain people that come in and they move into an area and all of a sudden they've learned something by the book and here is what the law is in the book and they go out there and they, they're they out there to enforce those rules as they see them. 
So Yeah, and that's what it is. But we'll find out. We'll see what goes on. We'll try to keep in touch with this. But before the break, I mentioned that, uh, you know, we had worked really hard as a state to reintroduce the sturgeon back into the waterways, uh, fresh waterways of uh, the state of Florida. And I've been seeing more and more of these stories lately, and I, 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 I can't wrap my mind around it because I don't fish for sturgeon, and I don't understand them. I've never caught one. I don't uh, mess with them. I know out in Texas they catch those big monster ones in rivers and stuff like that. But it seems lately I've seen a lot of stories about poaching when it comes to sturgeon. A lot of people poaching them and taking them out of the water, and they're saying it's becoming a uh, 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 it's what do you mean by poaching? Because I haven't seen any anything on the poaching of sturgeon. Well, I, in most cases, you're not allowed to keep sturgeon in most states or anything like that. Okay. So these people are actually removing them from the water and and taking them out. Now, some of the stories are what with them? Exactly. I don't know what you do now. With some, they said that they were being uh, illegally harvested because it was during the. Uh, the egg season, so they wanted all the the row the row out of them for the eggs and sell it on a black market or whatever you do with you know ill-gotten gains of uh, sturgeon eggs. You know, I, I I think there's a big long process to produce caviar, so I don't know if that's something that can be easily you know handed off in a parking lot somewhere. Hey. But but I'm just saying we that were we were trapping flying squirrels from Florida, sending them up to one state to get hopped to another state to get sent overseas to Korea. Can we, we do that with snowbirds? <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> they, but, they go back on their own. But now they're saying that these they're saying the majority of them are for the caviar, uh, and it's for the world. And I don't know how they get them out. It says most of them are found here in the Caspian Sea. It's illegal to import. In the United States, unfortunately, demand for the rose led to overfishing, and many sturgeon species are to the point of extinction. Uh, they say that poaching of the species for its eggs is a major concern. And in California, they busted a guy with like a 10-footer, and they said that poachers are um, becoming a real big problem these days because of the drought pressure, creating uh, miserable conditions for the sturgeon that can get them easier in the shallower waters and all that kind of stuff like that. But it says recreational fishermen are allowed three sturgeons per year and must be within uh, 30 to 60 inches long, and selling the fish is prohibited. Do, do you eat sturgeon? Do, do people eat sturgeon? I don't know. Listen, if I asked you if people ate tarpon, what's your answer? Well, I would say no, but people But, but, but people you do. know, yeah. you have, in your person, met somebody who actively does. Yeah, <clears throat> that is true. They, they, they And do probably still does today. And and would uh, tomorrow <laughs> if they uh, <laughs> if they uh, could go out and catch them. I just I don't know. I I I I've never I've never had sturgeon. I've never seen it on a menu anywhere. I don't know if it's an edible fish. I don't know. Maybe the listeners uh, know more about it than I do. So if you do, educate me, please. Eight 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 four zero four ten ten triple eight four zero four ten ten. I've I, never heard of eating sturgeon. I can so. tell you as far as like the row and that goes. You look at the mullet run here in the state of Florida. There's times when that row's in there. They're out there heavily looking for that row. Oh, there yeah. is a major row industry here in the state of Florida. Well, and they do that for certain reasons. There are people here that live in the United States who do like, you know, fried fish row and, and things like that. The old style of old cracker type okay. things. But so then a lot of it goes overseas. I know. So a lot when of it. you have a particular industry that's at its heart, and let's say they can go out there and fish for, for, you know, 
two weeks and, and make said amount of money or they can go catch one sturgeon and get the row out of it and sell it into the black market. No, it's not legal, but that money, I mean, that's what happens with the alligator stuff. There was more people poaching eggs and nests and hatchlings at one point in this state than you can imagine. Well, yeah, because uh, there was such a big out for it. Yeah, huge demand for it. And what were they... What were those eggs going for uh, on the market uh, back at the peak? Like stupid money, like yes. fifty bucks an egg or something like that. How much? Fifty. Try like closer to a hundred. Are you kidding me? Okay. Now Let's, see, that's an incentive. When it gets to that, now it's an incentive for now people to you go turn around and have a nest of thirty of them, and you got now on the black market, you may only get fifty. Okay. You may only get fifty dollars on the black market, but fifteen hundred dollars to go raid an alligator nest. Easy money. Yeah. I mean, okay. Well, you get some fire ant bites, but, uh, it, you know. It, and there's very little enforcement out there in the middle of the night in the lake or uh, in the Everglades. In people's, yeah. It's in people's backyards and everywhere sure. else. I mean, it, you don't have to go far to find an alligator. But now. as usual, when they bust these people, they also find all kinds of interesting things. I'll give you a list when we come back from break. It is the Big and Wild Outdoors brought to you by Brandon Ford. Hang on. We'll be back. Welcome back, everybody. It's the Big and Wild Outdoors. Braden Vince, Bill, and uh, Slick hanging out with you. A little bit later on, we're going to be talking with uh, Mr. Dean Vanier. He's with uh, Northwood's uh, Common Sense. But right now, I'm going to give you the uh, Big and Wild Fast Cast for today. It's going to be a nice day. That's all you need to know. It's going to be a beautiful day in the neighborhoods. Delightful. Get out there. It's going to be around 84 degrees. going to feel like around uh, 87. No rain. It's going to be kind of breezy, so it'll be a nice, gentle day. And uh, tonight's going to be a nice night to be out doing some fishing, about 70 degrees. Be clear with the winds dying down, and tomorrow's 84, feel like 91, mostly sunny and delightful. Is it's a good saying. night for a fire. Uh, I'm doing no, a fire tonight, no, baby. No, it's not. I told you about camping out next to the howitzer uh, while I was gone last week, right? No. Oh, but yeah, so we ha- we have to, when we leave the, our guns out there, they've got it sensitive equipment on them so you have to be babysat have to be babysat so me and the guys out there like yo we should start a fire so we took the humvee through the woods loaded it up with wood and had a fire and i camped out like (laughs) next to it i felt like an old cowboy again yeah with a howitzer (laughs) now if you want to be an old cowboy you need to go see our buddy uh (laughs) you're not sending me to a dude ranch are you kind of which one? Lester's place. Oh, Lester. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you can go camp out in the old western town out there. It'd be nice. Hey, before the break, we were talking about the sturgeons and, and uh, of course, uh, all these people are being arrested all over the country and especially California with their drought situation out there that a lot of people are trying to get them. It says, um, and, and this is the question that I asked. I, I did not know that people ate sturgeon, but apparently they're not only getting them for their uh, caviar, but also for the meat. But as we always find out with these lovely individuals who go out and break the law to uh, line their own pockets, they always find something very interesting with these people. Always, because you know good and well they don't have, they have other things with them. Yeah, so uh, I love this one, that when they, uh, they busted these guys, or numerous people, they found one was a, a guy that had a AR-15 with the uh, serial numbers ground off of it, uh, more than 1,000 pounds of marijuana. And more than fifty-seven thousand dollars in cash and counterfeit currency. 
First off, if you're going to do something illegal, why are you going to bring illegal things with you doing it? Why aren't you just? Why are you stopping at one? These guys were like, "Yeah, you know, why are we just here? Let's go big." But now, <laughs> I this, guess this is uh, this is where it gets really good because this is how you know they want to put every single charge they can find on you when you're in doing something like this. The officer, officers also said they observed dozens of instances of littering. During <laughs> during the course of their investigation, <laughs> as the suspects routinely threw food wrappers and beer cans into the river while they fished, and so they charged them with uh, misdemeanors as many as they could for polluting the water. Come on, boys, let's get some PBR and Reese's. Let's go do some fishing. So they're uh, they're they're slapping them with everything God, they can man, find can on these guys. Any stupider? Seriously? Yeah, like having the. Uh, uh, AR with uh, the the serial number scratched off of fifty seven thousand dollars. Let's not bring attention to ourselves, fellas. <laughs> Stupid. So uh, anyway, I, I guess apparently our listeners don't know if you can eat sturgeons or not because no one called, so it doesn't really matter. But uh, on the uh, as you can hear the rumbling of the microphone, uh, we have a new guest in the studio that we'd like to talk to. His name is uh, Dean Vanier, uh, a guy, a president, head CEO, and head P master. At uh, <laughs> at Northwoods That's Common funny. Sense, and uh, welcome into the show, Dean. Appreciate you coming down, man. Well, thanks for having me, guys. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, uh, of course, uh, we talked a little bit during the week this past week, and if people don't know, what exactly is it that you do? Well, it's uh, been a hobby for the last forty years, and uh, what we do is we we sell uh, deer lures. Uh, that's buck urine, doe urine, uh, doe and heat, and buck with tarsal lures. Right, and now all three of these items uh, you can order online. You can get them out of there. I know it says North Woods, but uh, you know sometimes uh, a deer of a different scent uh, has a a different effect on other deer. If you know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's what we do. I mean, we collect it from the same deer farm that we have, like I said, for about 40 years, and uh, we teach how to do mock scrapes. And uh, since deer behavior uh, differs throughout. Uh, the course of the year, that particularly the rut, the pre-rut, peak rut, and post-rut, um, why wouldn't you hunt deer differently? And, and what we do is, uh, if you go to the website, you can kind of uh, see with the seminar online there, and uh, it tells you how we do it, and it's just uh, something I've been doing for a long time. Let me throw this out at you. What are you extracting from the deer? We have not have mentioned what are you putting in these bottles. Um, some people say Bud Light, but no, it's actually, <laughs> yeah. uh, it's actually, uh, deer urine that comes from the farms. Uh, these farms, uh, uh take very good care of their, their domesticated huh. white-tailed deer and, uh, they come in they feed and then they, uh, urinate in these troughs and it's collected and, uh, then it goes into uh, our bottles. It's all hand poured, hand labeled. Um, it's the real McCoy. I can't even get my dog to poop outside, let alone get a deer to <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And you got trained deer that know, you know, they can uh, do it on demand. I guess. No, I the know. industry is huge. The industry is huge, and we're just little guys. Um, you know, there's obviously tanks, code blue, and all these other, um, you know, uh, products out there. We're just a small company, but our claim to fame is it's 100% pure, undiluted, and it's a fantastic product that if used appropriately, and you love deer hunting. You will kill deer with it. Well, the other other thing that I have learned over the years of uh, spending time out in the woods and using various scents, uh, you know, there like you mentioned a couple of the big names out there that everybody knows, you know, the old '69 and everything else like that. But I have found that most people that get the small batch stuff, like what you guys produce, uh, seem to do a lot better for the most part. I, I know a guy who 
used to have a guy who had a small little area in Alabama, and he would get it specifically from there. And, dude, he would kill. I actually saw it. Uh, it was the first time in my life where I actually saw deer urine do what it's supposed to do. I went up to um, uh, here in Florida. I was out, uh, up by Odessa. I got invited to go up there, and the guy said on your haul line, what he would do is he would take his haul line and dip it into the bottle maybe about an inch or so and then leave it hanging about 10 feet off the ground, just kind of tied off on the tree stand so that it gets up off the ground and gets the scent around. And this eight point came out, and once the wind, and he caught that scent, he was walking not towards me but away from me, and all of a sudden that scent caught him. He immediately made a 90-degree turn and came straight towards me. I mean straight, nose in the air, sniffing on the ground, looking around, looking around, looking for this doe. And he walked literally right underneath my tree stand, and I shot him from 30 feet, right between the shoulder blades, right and, and, underneath. And him. that's the way it's supposed to happen. What people don't, uh, the biggest misconception when using scent is you're, you're actually communicating with a white-tailed deer. I mean, the, a prime example is um, in the pre-rut, we'll say mid to late September, all the bucks are bachelored up, and you go in, uh, you know, try to be as scent-free as possible, and you open up a mock scrape underneath a, a licking branch. I'm not going to go into details on that, which is, is critical. But you open up your mock scrape, and the best deer lure to use at that point is buck urine because every one of those bucks, be it Mike, a four-pointer, Bob, a six, and, uh, and Phil, an eight-pointer, whatever, every one of those bucks is going to go in and, and hit that scrape. Mm -hmm. And that gives you a quick inventory of your hit list of what deer are on that property, whether you've been there before or not. I'll, I've been to Ohio and uh, never hunted the property, opened up three mock scrapes, and uh, we got pictures of eight or nine different bucks wow. first night. So it, it's if you look at it like you're communicating uh, with the deer, that's exactly what you're trying to, to do when you're using your scent. All right, here's a stupid guy question, because I'm, I'm new to the hunting world. I mean, I've been around it with Braden and whatnot. But, so let's say I buy your scent, and I bring it to Florida, and I use it up in Tallahassee area. Those deers are going to probably... What, what, what does that smell? This this doesn't belong here, and the, that what draws them in. No, what, uh, as far as the bucks being bachelored up, um, they start to become more competitive. You know, um, bucks tend to be bachelored up early in the year, and then they they push, start pushing each other around for for the right for for breeding rights, and then they get very territorial. So it's like when, you know we're sitting at the bar, us three guys are hanging out, and we're there every week, and all of a sudden some other guy walks in. It's like. Who's this, this guy? guy? <laughs> and, and so every one of them is going to go over and pee on that. It becomes hydrant. it literally becomes a peeing contest, <laughs> if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. It, it, it becomes a peeing contest, not only because am I marking or they mark the area to say that I've been here, but they also it makes them come almost more frequently so they can kind of catch you and say, I got to see what this guy looks like. Because you may be challenging this guy a little right. bit later on, as, as Dean pointed out, for, for the breeding rights of these bucks and now uh, for these does. And if a uh, if you come walking up there and you're some big, nasty, uh, big old buck, he's going to have to be like, dang, man, I've been knocked down in the pecking order. This is going to be a hard fight coming this fall. Exactly, you know what I mean? Exactly. And as the rut progresses, uh, the days become shorter, the nights become colder. We start um, adding a little bit of buckwood tar. So what we're trying to do is mimic what Mother Nature is actually doing. And we'll start putting doe urine in the scrape. Um, and then, again, as the rut progresses, it's a gradual progression, just like summer turns to, to fall. And fall turns, you know, to uh, winter. Winter turns to spring. The rut is a gradual progression. So as the rut progresses, we'll 
we'll start with dough urine, and then we'll slowly start adding uh, dough and heat, which is, increases the pheromones um, in the product. And so you're mimicking exactly what Mother Nature is doing. And the deer kind of follow your lead. Um, and it works fantastic. It's a great technique. I think that a lot Very of people, I, I, they use it the wrong way. I think they go out and they buy scents and they dump it on their boots or they do, uh, you know, they do a drag, which is not a bad thing when it's a dough that's in heat and you're trying to lure something from somewhere else. But the importance I think a lot of people don't realize is how important a mock scrape actually is to keeping deer coming back to the same area and the same spot religiously especially for bucks. And then does will start to do it, too. This is education for you. They'll start doing it, too, to let the bucks know that they're also in the area. And, hey, boys, you know, time might be getting right, so, right. Uh, you know, I'm just letting you know. You know, it's like they're putting on the lingerie. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's, uh, getting kind of things, getting kind of ready to let them know that they're also there. So a scrape is a meeting area. It's uh, You use the metaphor of a bar, but basically that's what it is. It's a meeting place where... Everybody uh, knows your name, or at least is trying to learn your name. That's very interesting. When you when you go and pee in the on the ground, I mean that's what it is. Yeah, you literally could take a thousand acres, and you could go in there, and if you you know mind your p's, no pun intended, p's and q's, and play the wind right, and you go in, you open up your scrape, um, you could actually take deer on that thousand acres, and you you can bring them to you and uh, concentrate them more in a smaller group. Yeah. Exactly. If you can't pattern them and you don't have the time to do that, what a great idea. And a lot of times in the, in the spring, I'll go in and I'll prepare my areas. I'll get my stand set up, clear my shooting lanes. I'll get that scrape all set so that when I do touch it up in September, I'm in, I'm out of there, and they have no idea they're being hunted on, on September 15th. Yeah, that's a good idea. And it can be used on public land as well. I mean, uh, you know, I know this... It's really good on private land, but in public areas, if you can find an area where you can make a mock scrape and do that, where it's kind of off the beaten path a little bit, where you're going to get out there away from everybody else who's 100 yards off the road, you know, hunting and get back in there, uh, that'll keep those deer over more in your area than there are over in the other areas. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it kind of moves them over into that, that neck of the woods, honestly, and it does help out. Now... How well is if I know we're getting into summer, so summertime is not really a great time to be starting to think about deer hunting or anything, except in the state of Florida when we start basically at the end of July. I mean, we're basically South Zone's going to open up for for archery. I think a lot of people don't realize how early we 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 actually start here in the state. Everybody thinks of the Carolinas, you know, oh, get up there and get a deer in velvet. Well, dude, that we're 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 at the same level that they are. Now, when it comes to that kind of thing and the summer heat and all that stuff, that rut is not really a thing yet. You're mostly just getting out there trying to find lost deer. Can you use scents during the summertime just to kind of let people know, especially like to just doe, plain doe urine, to let them know they're still in the area? I, I mean, I, I think so. I mean, I don't want to get out of my realm here. I'm from um, northern Vermont, New Hampshire, that area. And, uh, I mean, deer make scrapes year-round. We've found scrapes up on the ridges in, uh, on 4th of July and such. Um, the big problem I have in, in those temperatures is that um, even though you're using sand or something like this, you're also sweating and perspiring, and, um, which is your biggest enemy. Uh, so you're probably you're, you're splitting hairs there. I think if you can get in there and, and do it right, I think you could probably shoot a young buck early. 
Um, again, I, I would probably use Buck urine because they're more interested in the competition at this point, uh, although they're still bachelored up. Uh, but again, for me, that's you can start your scrape, put your trail cameras up, and, and see what happens. More than likely, you're going to have uh, probably a social scrape area um, started, and then you can kind of build it from there and kind of figure out who's who's visiting the scrape and, and that kind of thing. Especially if you got a cam set up. It, uh, it really helps. It really does. I'm, I'm, I was talking about the layperson who maybe is just like public land or, or a certain area that he likes to hunt. Doesn't necessarily have a cam because if you put it up there, it'll be gone in four days. But just to let them know any of the bucks that might be in the neighborhood that there are still does and maybe a couple other bucks still hanging around is what I'm, I'm I think suggesting. it's a great idea. Uh, you know, um, it's not the only way to hunt. It's, it's just a, a tool in your toolbox. You right. Can see, you know, and that's how I look at it. There's a lot of other factors. You know, human scent control is 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 different. Like you said, you know, people think it's uh, the magic juice. And uh, I, I like to <laughs> use the scenario that, you know, some guy – uh, could go out and put scent on a stump and sit there for two hours and look at it and scree- you know, scratch his butt and say, God, this doesn't work. And meanwhile, you know, 75 yards downwind, there's a buck watching a guy scratch his butt. Yeah, you know? exactly. <laughs> and, and so, yeah. you know, it, 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 so it's paying attention to, to what's there, setting up downwind from your scrape, not upwind, because 90% of the deer that come in to check that scrape are going to come in downwind. They want to confirm with their eyes what their nose is smelling. They survive by their ears, their eyes, their nose. That's that's how a whitetail survives. They can run 35 miles an hour. They're, they're the ultimate uh, prey animal. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's true. I mean, we always talk about deer and turkeys and things. People don't realize that everything in the woods from the moment it's born to the day it dies, there's something that's trying to eat it or, or kill it. That's, you know, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a Including little bit. Me. Yeah, ex- including us. When we come back for a break, I want to kind of shift gears a little bit because him and his lovely wife are also big part of the 88th annual Tarpon, Suncoast Tarpon Roundup. Yeah, yep. that'll be later. When we come back, I need to talk to him about chronic oh, wasting got... disease and other things. I have questions. You have questions? Yeah, I have lots of questions. So, All right. Uh, so hang on. When we come back from break, it is the Big and Wild Outdoors. We're brought to you at Brandon Ford. We're talking with uh, Dean Van, De- Van Eer, of course, with uh, Northwood's Common Sense. You can go check it out online. I'll give you the website when we come back. All right? Hang on, you guys. Welcome back. It is the Bigger Wild Outdoors. Braden Vance, Bill, and Slick, and uh, our buddy uh, Dean Vanier is also here in the studio with us. Of course, he's with Northwoods Common Sense. If you go and you're looking for it on the uh, on uh, line, you go to team, and then you put the hyphen, you know, the dash, uh, teamnorthwoods.com. It'll take you straight to his website where you can order your fence and all that kind of stuff right then and there. And like I said, sometimes... I have found uh, most people that I've met that use these small batch, um, not the big, you know, mass produced type stuff seems to be a little bit higher quality. It seems to do a lot better when it comes to uh, producing a mock scrape or even as a lure that on a drag or anything else where you set up, it actually seems to work a little bit better. I think because you're not dealing with, uh, you know, hundreds and thousands of gallons of whatever it is, and you have stuff that's left over from last year, and what do you do with it, and da da da, da. I mean, this is all stuff that, uh, Dean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, this is made fresh. This is done well. It's kept uh, 
ready to go. It's always fresh and, and, and new. And that way when people get it, you know, they're not having to worry about something that might have been left over on a shelf at a store that closed uh, two years ago and got sent back to the manufacturer. And they just repurpose it and send it back out again. Yeah, that's correct. Anything that our customers, um, uh, we have a pretty good retail setup where if they don't, they don't sell their product, we take that back. Um, we donate it um, to a lot of organizations you know, to get kids into the woods and stuff like this. But every year our, our product is 100% pure. It's fresh. It's hand-poured. Um, it's, it's, in, in my opinion, it's the best product you can get out there. Uh, of course, I'm a little bit biased. But, yeah, you're absolutely right. You don't know what's out there. Some of this stuff, and I've seen it. It's been on the shelf for three, four, five years. Yeah. And, of course, it does go bad. Um, you know, our product has a two-year shelf life, so nothing out there is, is older than that. Are you kidding? Really? Seriously? I mean, for the most part, even though I know they put it in a dark bottle for a reason, they put it in a brown bottle for the most part to keep it, you know, like beer, you know, to keep Wine, sunlight out thing, of yeah. it. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, it's, but um, if it's been under UV lights in a store for three years, uh, you know, sitting there not moving, yeah, uh, it, it goes bad. I mean... I know it's a stupid question, but, you know, if you ever smelled deer pee, how do you know if it goes bad or not? I mean, is it ammonia-y? Yeah, or? it kind of smells more like ammonia, and that's kind of ironic. I mean, deer, uh, when a buck is full-blown rut, I've had, you know, I've had them walking down this. I've seen them walking down the street with their eyes rolling in the back of their head. And I've had people, you know, uh, use ammonia or different other products, um, uh, ANS or what have you. Can and, you refrigerate it? Uh, you, you can. It's we our our stuff comes in amber bottles which are almost impossible to get now but i'm not sure why i could blame that on covid too i suppose i don't know but <laughs> but um everything else gets blamed on that but um yeah it's 100 percent pure like i said it's in an amber bottle polycone cap and uh it, it comes to us fresh every year we That's order interesting. it yeah it's 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 a great product now uh, i gotta bring this up because i know we've talked about it here on the show at least for the past year, starting last year, almost two years now, you have a lot of states out there who uh, have stopped uh, allowing, you know, urine and all that stuff because of the prions with, uh, you know, chronic wasting disease that they think that, you know, these big giant deer farms that produce pee and all that stuff are doing nothing but spreading it all over the, the United States. Um, have you seen that? I mean, do you know more about that in detail? I'm sure you guys have to test for that stuff and everything, right? Yeah, I mean, in, in my opinion, there's a, there's a big misconception there. I'll start by saying I love God, country, my family, deer, and beer fits certainly in there somewhere. But um, if I thought our our product or that matter, if I thought deer urine would hurt, the white-tailed deer hurt in any way, um, I would stop doing it immediately. And this doesn't go, my, my opinion is just not based on just my opinion. I mean, there's been research um, at Midwestern University by uh, veterinarians and microbiologists, um, as well as Colorado State University. And the odds of transmitting uh, CWD, although the pyron prions do exist in the urine, is, is extremely small. I mean, they've tried inoculating white-tailed deer with CWD uh, with little or no success of transmitting CWD. Huh. And even the great, you know, uh, uh, past the Charles Alzheimer, you know, God rest his soul, one of the most world-renowned white-tailed biologists uh, ever, um, before he passed, stated that it was his opinion that uh, that deer urine 
uh, the transmission through deer urine was next to impossible. It, it, it can happen, I suppose. I'm, this, this, science is still out on that, like many things I won't go into. But um, the fact of the matter is it's highly unlikely, if even probable, that that can happen. Yeah, now, I think I think it's one of those measures where they said, let's just go ahead and do it because we don't know. So it's best just to just make it stop. And uh, why even take the chance? Well, it's better to do something than nothing is the whole concept. And I'll, and I'll use Vermont as a prime example. And, and I think their policy sucks. I can say that because I'm originally from there. Uh, they legalize weed, but they outlaw deer pit. <laughs> so you, you can sit on your tailgate and burn one, and the game board walks up, and you know he's got a UV light. That better not be deer pee I smell over there. <laughs> exactly. is, that, is that skunk weed That's or deer that. pee? Somebody's in trouble. By the way, could I have a hit off that? Yeah, exactly. No, it's it, you know. Quick hit, light the weed. All right, the, the yeah. game warden's coming. I had the deer pee. I had the deer pee. Yeah. You know, that's ridiculous. No, but <laughs> that's that's the God's honest truth. You know, you can sit there, smoke a joint on your tailgate, but God forbid you have deer pee on you. And and now uh, I don't I don't understand Vermont's reasoning behind it. I, I'm sure that it was you know to stop the spread of chronic wasting disease that, or anything that might exacerbate you know the, it coming back into the state once they got it under control or the deer that had it die off or whatever. And that's the thing that always gets me is. You're going to make deer urine illegal when, in reality, how many ounces are in a bottle? Two ounces? Uh, 1.5? I mean, depending on what size you get. Uh, yeah, you we, know. we have four-ounce bottles. Don't, but four ounces? But I, I, I think the bottom line is you have unqualified people making decisions yeah. for other people. Well, but I'm just saying that four ounces of dope urine, and chances are you're not going to use all four ounces that for the year uh, in most cases. Some people will, some people won't. But if a 160, 180-pound deer goes out in the woods and wastes down to 120 pounds and then dies, every single pound of that deer has been infected with chronic wasting disease Correct. is now in the ground. Yeah. So now you have a patch that's, that's the size of a dead deer on the ground. And if you have many of them... Their bodies are all over the place, so it's already there, and it's all over the place. And I think it takes up to five years to get rid of that. Uh, Charles Alzheimer, um, and again, I was always a student of his, said that was probably one of the most, um, that would be probably the best way if you wanted to spread this thing is for, from dead carcasses yeah. and that being in the dirt and in exactly. the soil. And then somebody runs it over with a four-wheeler and brings this four-wheeler back to uh, another state or something like wow, that. Wow, I never no. even thought of that. Yeah, it's under your fender of your truck, and you go to a yeah. different management that area. That is a great point. I didn't even think of that. And you're dropping it there. I mean, uh, vehicles yeah. and feet, foot traffic, whatever it is you're taking it, tracking it back home, whatever. I mean, yeah. it's all over the place. Well, for for you guys, uh, you got orders filled, or you're doing it now, or are you getting geared up for the uh, fall? What's start, the deal? We start uh, usually um, late August or something, somewhere around there, and then uh, we'll get the ball rolling, get orders going, and, and get it out to our customers. So we can order it now if we want to, and then... Uh, uh, you, you could, but I would wait probably a little bit further on uh, towards, okay. yeah, towards as we get closer to deer season, if you really want the, the freshest stuff. Okay. Can we hang back? I mean, we can take a break, but I want to bring Dean back because I have some tarping questions for oh, the uh, 88th annual Suncoast Roundup. Well, we can talk about that in the all third right. hour. We can talk about that all fishing all day. It's so, all hey, good. you got time? Yeah, I do. I'll all right, it. we're going to take right. a quick break. All right, a quick break brought to you by Brandon Ford, Hour 3. We'll talk fishing. We'll be right back.